0: Hello and welcome to Staring at a Blank Page, sponsored by idofestivals.co.uk. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please find our Facebook page and give it a like and share it amongst your friends. Find us on iTunes, leave a review and share that with your friends. Just spread the word. In this episode, I speak to Justin Capps. I'm
1: gonna lift you up like a rising tide, gonna sail away. To a better life, take all your problems, lay them on me. No need to charge your phone, just forget your keys, baby. Where we're going, we'll be free from it all. Take your problems, lay them on me, and we'll drown them in the
0: sea. Justin, thank you very much for spending time with me. Yeah well thanks for coming. People are going to notice that that's probably not a Leon Solent accent you've got there so can you just explain how you came to be in Leon Solent? Sure
2: well um, so I am uh, an American by birth and spent most of my life there Um, but while I was away at uni uh, I met my wife who is British and we lived together over in the States for quite a long time Um, and then when I finished graduate school mercifully for the last time. Uh, We decided that we would uh, give a shot at moving over here and living near to her parents. Um, They live in Lee. Uh, We came to visit them at Christmas, saw that it wasn't such a bad place to to spend some time and um,
0: yeah, so we've been here for a little over four and a half years now. What was the first song that you heard that really made you fall in love with music?
2: Well, it's it's hard to say. Um, I have sort of come to this songwriting thing in maybe a roundabout way, um most of my earliest involvement with music was in playing instruments uh in ensembles um you know playing in bands jazz bands and, and orchestras. But I started out in public schools in Wisconsin and they had a very active music program, so when I was I think seven or eight, we would have been given a flutophone, which is like a knockoff of a recorder uh, and taught to play songs. But we would sit there in in this classroom and they would play, um, you know, classics from the orchestral repertoire. They would play old, um, you know, old folk songs um, and we would sit there and we would listen to them. And I still remember uh, we listened to In the Hall of the Mountain King uh, by Greg and they put words up on the board and I still remember it. Um, let see. Problematically now, I think it started with O.J. Simpson. Uh, it was uh, O.J. Simpson, Larry Bird, Ringo Starr, Elton John, Cindy Lauper, Elvis Presley, Kenny Rogers, me, and it's just a completely ridiculous thing. But here I am now, you know, thirty years nearly later, and that's stuck in my head. And it's the first sort of concrete musical memory that
0: that I have. Uh, so you were already playing musical instruments at that time. So there was obviously an interest in music. Were you writing your own uh, compositions at that time as well? N-
2: no, um, I, I, f- I feel like it would have gone really well if I if I'd started sooner than I did. Um, you know, it took me a long time to get to the point where I started writing things myself. So, you know, this was sort of a class setting. Um, so I was in there with a lot of other kids, and it was just it was just part of this part of the day, and it was a lot of fun. Um, And then I moved out to California, Um, so I was nine uh, when we moved out there, and that's when I actually started taking music lessons. And I said I wanted to be a drummer. Uh, My mom said, uh, no, you're not going to play drums, you're going to learn how to play the piano first. She wanted you to be a musician, didn't she? She, she, (laughs) she, she, yes, uh, sorry drummers out there. Um uh, you know, oh, no. the best ones are percussionists, because <laughs> if you if you go by percussionist, then you 've earned it um, but so you know her sort of bargaining chip was that if I would take piano lessons and learn a bit about music that way, then she would take me to get drums and get drum lessons. So I started taking piano lessons uh, after a few months i 'm guessing it was. Um, she took me back to the music store, um, and I saw this shiny thing just gold and glowing, and um, I said, oh, I want to play that, Uh, and that's how I started playing the saxophone, Um, so I still, after all this time, I still don't play the drums, Um, but, you know, going and learning to play the saxophone, and then being asked by teachers to maybe play the clarinet, because they needed a clarinet, um, and so on and so forth, so I ended up, over time, playing a lot of different instruments in different settings, and then finally, when I got to sort of the end of secondary school, um, was the first time I came close to this idea of of writing something or of of singing. Um, I'd never sung before, um, so we nearly crossed that line. There was a talent show at my high school, uh, and I was keen to make that my first sort of public presentation. Um, and I, I practiced on this piano. Uh, in my bedroom, uh, in a very small, f- well, I mean, a smallish flat, but it was a very small room. Piano took up half of it. But I, I uh, practiced uh, the song Everybody Has a Dream by Billy Joel. And I practiced it over and over, much to the annoyance of anyone and everyone. Um, so I showed up at the talent show.
0: Just for translation, this is your high school so high school talent show. So how old would you... you so
2: I would have been, this would have been, I would have been 17 right. at the time. Um so you know this was in a big gymnasium there were my school had 2000 uh, plus students so it was a big room and there was a piano out there in the middle but there was no microphone and so I saw there was no microphone I kind of went up to the piano had a little bash and left in shame and embarrassment um I had another gig to go get to I had to go play oboe for um but that was the where i thought okay maybe maybe we don't do this um but then i went to uni and when i got to uni uh i had a lot of time on my hands <laughs> and um i had a guitar and i thought well let's just kind of see see what happens um so the first the first songs i wrote i would have been 18 or 19 um at the time and you know as is is usually the case they tend to be not very good um you know but if i hadn't started writing those songs uh then i wouldn't have sort of tripped and stumbled down the path that's got me um to where i am now writing the types of songs that that i write now so they're all worth the time
0: and um, so uh, were you performing those songs in public or was, was it just something for yourself at that time
2: um Stupidly, yes. Uh, you know, I, I I played with a a band. Uh, you know, there were there were three, occasionally four of us, uh, and we played some of the songs. We played a mix of of covers, um, you know, and played a, just a handful of gigs. And I think in that handful of gigs, we had three, maybe four different names uh, for the for the band. But um, you know, we we played the songs that I wrote, and it was really it was really powerful for me to see that process where, you know, I'd been sat in a practice room kind of plucking away at a piano and trying to make something happen and, you know, to then go in front of, um, you know, a lot of my friends, a lot of people I didn't know and just sort of throw it at them and see how they responded to it um, you know, it was a really interesting and different uh, experience for me.
0: After uh, that experience of playing your songs live, did that change the way that you approached the songwriting?
2: I That was sort of midway through uni, and I took a year off in the middle, um, and during that year off, I had a lot of, again, <laughs> a lot of spare time on my hands. And, and during that year off is actually where I did a lot more of the developing, so I had a lot of time to listen to music, um, in a way that I didn't necessarily, uh, before you know, because I got all the way through secondary school and I hadn't ever had any of this sort of inculcation with uh, popular culture broadly. You know, like I didn't, I had friends who'd listened to the Beatles, and I had friends, you know, this was the 90s, so I had friends, you know, who'd listened to Rage Against the Machine, and you know, they'd listened to. Nirvana or Counting Crows or whatever their particular taste was and I just kind of bypassed all of that because I was so heavily into the jazz stuff um, and the classical stuff so, you know, I got there and I got to uni and and it was all new to me I mean, there was a a point in secondary school where we had a class project to sort of bring in the lyrics to our favourite song um, you know, so that we could talk about the sort of literary devices and things that were going on in these songs you know and some people had Tori Amos songs um some people brought in some Matchbox 20 songs and I I sat at home and I thought I don't have any idea what my favorite song is um and so I remember I took in uh Be Prepared from The Lion King so so it's this song from The Lion King where Scar is basically laying out his manifesto uh, for all of the all of the bad that he's going to unleash uh, across the Pride Lands, you know, and I re- I got some looks from people in the class, you know, because they couldn't fathom that I didn't know all of this music that they did. Um, so when I got to uni, and I started listening to more things, um, you know, that's when I first started listening to you know things like Simon and Garfunkel. Um, I started listening to Annie DeFranco. Um, you know, and uh, Leonard Cohen, um, you know, these these people whose songs were in this sort of acoustic tradition uh, of sorts, um, which was all foreign to me before. I mean, growing up, you always sort of hear whatever your parents are listening to. Um, And my parents were, were often out of the house. So there wasn't a lot of music playing in the home, but we spent a lot of time in the car. And so the things that I remember listening to in the car, um, you know, I remember listening to, uh, man in the mirror. <laughs> um, I remember listening to, uh, Garth Brooks. Uh, I remember listening to, um, Harry Chapin, uh, you know, so, but that was about like the extent of what I'd had, uh, up to that point. So I hadn't really had an opportunity to, Think about writing songs, I was just sort of making bad poetry with mediocre music and hoping that somehow bashing them together it would be a palatable experience um, but that you know that time that I took out of out of school um you know I think I grew a lot not only as a person but as as a songwriter and as a guitarist i mean I'm still not a very good guitarist, but i during that time. You know, for part of it, I was living alone and I would just lay there in bed playing the guitar. Um, And it's I think without that year, I probably would have would have stopped doing it because I I didn't have that input that you need. That that's something that excites you to make you want to do more, because I think that's where where songwriters that I know certainly sometimes run into trouble, you know, because we all have these people that we treasure. We all have these songs that we love. um, And we kind of stand next to them and we think, Oh, I can't write a song as good as that one. Um, But the reality is that what you're writing, um, and this is why I try to listen to as many different songwriters as I can. What you're writing is your one unique look in on the world. So it it may not come out in the first song or the or the fifth or the tenth, you know. But over time, if you pay attention to what you're writing, like what you choose to write, um, and how you approach it, you can give other people a, a slightly different look at the world that they live in. And I think that's that's the best thing about about songs and about songwriting um, is that ability to. I mean, it's about, it's about communicating, but it's, it's kind of about helping people feel or have some kind of um, empathetic experience in a way that they, they couldn't thing Nothing is
1: truer than all the love I have for People say You look a lot like me It's hard for me to see Anyway Who cares what people think The truth is people stink Let's keep that between you and me Just like our pirate days at sea Where I am the captain and you are my crew One day I'll leave all this sailing to you now it's your story and I'm passing through And all of our stories are true But nothing is truer than all the love I have for you
0: What is your method for writing songs? Is there a set method? It, it varies a lot. I mean, I
2: can... I mean, the one thing that tends to be common is, is that if we're starting with, with a musical idea it tends to come when i spend a few minutes just kind of letting if i'm at if i'm at the keyboard just kind of letting my fingers wander if i'm at if i'm playing a guitar just sort of screwing around with different chord shapes things you know different sequences and just just trying to be open to something that catches your ear because you know people talk all the time about how oh, all these songs just have the same three chords or the same four chords um and as if that's some kind of limiting factor but even, even if I sit there and play those same three or four chords on a different day a different thing about it might catch my ear so it might be the way one note leads into another and I might, might want to make a song that sort of drives off of that um, but you know, there are some songs where I get this lyric idea and maybe it's a standalone lyric idea and then I think, okay, well what do I do with this? Um, or sometimes it's taking you know a common notion or or phrase and thinking how can I recontextualize it you know how can I make it mean something different, um, so so the, the actual process can can vary considerably, um, but the thing that I've in thinking about it uh, over the last year and a bit the thing that I've sort of internalized is that I look at songwriting. Um, as if it's a sort of a puzzle. Um, and I'm trying to make a puzzle come together in the way uh, children's cartoons or, or children's uh, entertainment is. So the most successful things, you know, they've got one layer of, of story, one layer of action that's going on that's sort of for the children, for the intended audience. Um, and then there is all this other subtext and these other things, these other external references that are there to keep the adults who are forced to watch it over and over, um, you know, from from being driven mad. But so, so when I'm writing a song, I'm trying to do two things. I'm first of all trying to accomplish whatever my goal is for that song. So sometimes a song is about, um, you know, presenting an issue. You know, I don't I don't shy away from writing the odd political song. Um, And so I think, okay, well, how can I communicate this in three or four minutes, uh, you know, but I also want to make sure that it's musically engaging, Um, you know, and on the other hand, uh, it's not just about accomplishing what my goal is for the song. I want there to be a way for a listener to hear that song and sort of build their own network with their own set of knowledge um, and experience, you know, because I don't, I don't play, I don't play many cover songs. And, and even, you know, if I'm playing at a pub gig, I, I, you know, I still don't play many cover songs. Um, so my kind of bone that I throw out there is that, well, I'm going to sing this song, and you don't know this song, you, you've probably never heard it before. But I'll drop in there some sort of, of cultural reference that you can latch on to and then instantly it's not just about that line in the song instantly your brain is connecting that to everything you know about that so um you know it's something that i do over and over and, and some songs are, are practically built out of that um you know one example is uh, i have a song called einstein on the beach uh you know and this idea of, of einstein walking on the beach is his as his place to you know explore his own imagination, his place to let his mind wander free uh, and this song you know it it tracks along and it's more metaphysical than a lot of my songs but it, but it's built out of this idea of of these people so you know we talk about Einstein takes a walk on along the beach Newton took an apple on his head uh, you know and and sort of tying these things together so if somebody hears that and they know about those things then that enriches their listening experience the trick is that i also want for the person who doesn't know i want them to still find that the music itself is um you know an enjoyable thing you know not i mean an enjoyable not necessarily meaning it's it's a it's a happy thing or a positive thing but in that it can make them feel something um, you know, in in keeping with the aim of whatever that particular song is after.
0: Do you rock mainly on the piano? It's
2: it's probably about half and half. Um, I used to I used to do it mostly at the piano, um, and and what I find is, you know, at the piano I have a lot more flexibility. Um, you because know, be, <laughs> because I'm not such a great guitarist. Uh, you know, I can't I can't explore as much on the guitar. Um, so what I sometimes do is if I've written a few songs in a row on the guitar, um, you know, I might say, well, just to kind of force myself to, to find something a little bit different, you know, I'll go to the piano. Um, but I mean, there are some songs that I don't feel comfortable or I feel like something gets lost in moving it from one to the other. Um, so there's a song called uh, called Angels in the Snow, which is um, sort of a, a spin on the old country song. Uh, he stopped loving her today, um, you know. But it it's sort of built on this static uh, riff that goes on in, in the right hand, you know, as the bass just sort of moves down. And it's not something that I can effectively do on the guitar. So it's a song that I that I really. I really like and I think I think works but because most of the time I'm playing a gig on guitar I don't I don't play it very often um, you know but I always feel more connected to the piano because I've played the piano a lot longer and I, you know and I, I I mean I got this piano I don't remember exactly how old I was I would have been maybe Uh, probably 11 or 12, 13 at the oldest so you know this piano has been a part of my life ever since then and you know there were years where I didn't have it Um, but it was there in my room all throughout secondary school and there were a lot of times when I needed to just go sit and play the piano Um, so there's there's definitely something um, visceral um about sort of the way the way you engage with the piano like there's more connection between your body like your full being and the piano when you're playing it than there is um, you know for me when I when I'm playing the, the guitar like for me the guitar is is a tool um you know like I heard uh, Steve uh, from jungstar Baby talking about he learned to play guitar because he wanted to be able to write songs um, and it's the same sort of thing for me that's the only reason I ever bothered picking up a guitar you know and over time I like to think that I've gotten a a bit better (laughs) with with the guitar but it's still something that I look at as as a tool rather than as like a part of me which I feel like the piano
1: is no I'm not from Texas but Lyle said to come anyway. So I got here as fast as I could Walked out in Laredo yesterday Now I get why Dallas is sometimes written off as just a dream And I believe it was destiny for Houston to give the world a I confess I might sometimes forget the Alamo But underneath this big, bent sky There's one thing that I know The eyes of Texas have nothing on yours A smile in El Paso could light the Corbis shore Austin city limits are almost San Antonio we're a thousand miles from anywhere, but this sure feels like home. You're the lone star in the the sky, and you shine.
0: So, oh, we'll get to my usual question now, which is the phrase talent borrows, genius steals. Is there any, any techniques from any of your favourite artists that you think you have borrowed, or have you ever heard anything in a song and thought, oh, well, I'm going to do that next time I write a song? Or?
2: Yeah, I mean there, there, there are the odd things. I mean there are some things that are are very, very direct. Um, so, uh, uh, in a more recent song called Tehachapi, um, I directly lift a bit from Ryan Adams's um, uh, "Stars Go Blue," or uh, I forget what the title is. Um, but I, I mean it's it's the same chords, it's the same melody. Um, and so what happened in that case is that, you know, I listen to music and I think, oh, I love this music. And and because I love it, I think, what am I getting out of this music that I'm not sort of putting into my own? And so there was a stretch where I listened to Ryan Adams for for about two weeks straight because because I... I knew that his music had a bit of this character that I was after, something that I wanted to be able to incorporate. And what, what I took from it was uh, there's a need for space. And so because my songs are, are so heavily narrative, uh, or they tend to be so heavily narrative, um, or they tend to be about, about what's going on with the words, there's often not a place in those songs, for the listener to breathe, like for them to process what they're hearing, and so I thought after listening to that binge, you know, okay, that's something I'm gonna I'm gonna bear in mind, and so there's a bit of that in in Tehachapi itself in in the song, um, but one of the two or three songs that I've that I've written since I wrote that song, um, called uh, the Long Way Home, really is a lot more spacious and longer um, than than most of the songs that I've written um, over the last couple of years. Um, you know, it used to be because my, because my sort of first touchstones were these great epics, uh, you know, of, of folk music. You, you know, these Leonard Cohen songs with, you know, 38 million verses. So my my vision of what constituted A successful song was a song that held together over, you know, six plus minutes of basically, you know, each each verse is the same. There's nothing changing musically. We're just, you know, telling a story with lots and lots of words. Um, And I thought that was required uh, for a song to have merit. So at first I was working toward that end. And um, I guess it was probably not not too long after we moved here that i started to to change my thinking um a bit you know and it it wasn't that i wanted to write shorter songs um or that i wanted to have you know i mean there's there's not any sort of commercial appeal anyway but it wasn't it wasn't like a, a planned thing in that regard but um i wrote a song and it's kind of a, a turning point song for me um, it, it's a song called homer and the idea in homer is basically it's this guy who's been left by someone um and he's sort of playing it out through uh reference to homer's odyssey you know and i used to always feel like for the types of songs that i wrote or or for me as a singer um you know as as the character me singing like i always felt compelled to have this layer between me and the song and the and the audience and so there would often be these machinations like oh you know it it's we're sort of going through the odyssey here as song you know a lot of it's the young young look how clever i am uh, how widely read i am um you know and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but But I wrote that song, and the song, you know, I think works pretty well, Um, but it was after that that I thought, wait, hang on a minute, let's try and and simplify. And so over the course of the, the few years since then, my aim has been to tell the story that I want without wasting words. Tell the story that I want without wasting time. Um, so, so being sort of ruthlessly efficient, um, you know. And there are things that have gone into into making that happen. Um, you know, like I took the the online course with Pat Patterson, uh, who wrote the book. Um, you know, I think it's called like How to Write a Better Lyric or How to Write Better Lyrics. You know, and you know it's also in the course and in his way of thinking, it's all very sort of procedural, you know, the the syllables have to balance. And and those were things that I hadn't ever really given any thought to. I thought, well, if this line needs an extra four syllables, then that's what it needs because this is art, you know. And after sort of taking the class, I thought, well, let me see. And so now I'm I'm conscious of it. So if I have an extra syllable or if I have one less syllable, you know, I think about, is there a reason for that? Can I justify that? decision Um, and so it's just made it so I think the songs are more immediately graspable and that they ask less of the listener because I think when I was younger and writing those songs I was comfortable asking a lot uh, of the listeners because I thought you know I'm so great why wouldn't they love me um, and then, you know, as you get older and realize that you were so, so very wrong, um, you know, you you kind of broker a peace deal. Um, and, and it's not that the songs are any simpler or that the subject matter is any uh, less weighty. Um, but the way that I sort of package it uh, is very different. Do you have any themes
0: that keep cropping up?
2: In, in different in different sort of streams, I guess um, one of my motivations to write songs is is it helps me process things sometimes. So when there are big shocks to the system, one way that I kind of mediate that um, is, is to write a song. Um, and sometimes those are, are sort of in response to big global events, sometimes they're in response to, to direct personal um, events. I've had, in the last few years, a lot of personal changes and, and, and losses of a sort. And so, you know, I I see that there are, are themes dealing with that. You know, there's a lot about sort of long relationships now. Um, you know, I've been very lucky. Um, my wife and I have been together for... 16 years and, and married for nearly 13. So we've kind of had all this experience together. And so when I'm thinking about a love song, for example, my view on that love song is, is in this sort of, um, you know, bird's eye perspective of, of, a, of a bigger picture rather than, you know, hey, baby, let's go out on the town and have a drink and a good time and we're young and this is awesome – Um, you know, and not that there's anything wrong with those songs, but those just, those aren't the songs that I'm, I'm meant to write. Um, So, you know, the themes that, that tend to come up are, I I like to leave a little bit of ambivalence. Um, I like to have things come apart because it's something that I know, you know, I'm familiar with things sort of falling apart and I know that We all have this kind of desire to pull them back together. But sometimes that's not what happens. And I think that part of the responsibility of art is to give people a way to have a brush with something that they haven't experienced. And sometimes that means, you know, maybe they haven't had a love fall apart and not come back together. But if they hear a song about that, then when that does happen, if it does happen to them, um then they'll have somewhere in their reservoir a thing that they can go to, a thing that can help them. Um so I like I like this sort of mix of life. Because, because life is like that, you know. Life consists of you know, sometimes everything's coming up Millhouse, <laughs> and sometimes it's, it's most definitely not. Um, and I, I think that, that the themes in my songs tend to be about trying to do the right thing, hoping for the best and, you know, sort of coming to grips with, <laughs> with whatever the consequences of that might be.
0: Uh, have you ever come close to giving up on songwriting?
2: yes all all the time um you know because it it's it's a difficult thing you know because on the one hand i i i mean i will continue to write songs um because i don't know i don't know how not to um you know i i had a a, a gap in uh in between my first stretch of graduate school and my second, and it was a short gap. It was only, uh, eight months, but during those eight months, I wasn't, I wasn't playing music. I wasn't writing music and I was just such a miserable person. Um, you know, because everything about the making of music is, is kind of a part of who, who I am. You know, I've spent so many hours, in rehearsals, I've spent so many journeys with with bands, going places to play. Uh, you know, so, so everything about it is just kind of deep in me. Um, you know, so I'm quite content to, to sit. You know, other people would think it's incredibly boring to sit in a rehearsal. You know, so I, I went to graduate school for composition. Um, you know, and. I wrote music for, for different ensembles, you know, string quartet, brass quintet, um, you know, big chamber groups uh, and, and the rehearsal process. Like So you're sat in there with, with this piece of music that you've written over the course of you know, weeks or months or whatever, listening to people who don't know it like you do work their way through to bringing it together to, you know, bring this idea that you had in your head to life and so you're sat there and you're listening to it and a lot of the time you're thinking i'm such an idiot for asking them <laughs> to, to to do that um you, you know but then you you do it together you go through it together and it's like when i go out and and see my friends play gigs or when i go out to an open mic what what i really treasure is that people are doing this together you, you know people are there to hear other people's music and it's not I mean I don't know what it was like before um, you know but I know that a lot of times now it's difficult to get an audience of non-musicians out unless you're playing like sort of a good time fun gig it's not it's not what people want to do you know they, they've got there's so much music they have access to at home um, you know and they say uh, that you you stop listening to to new music and you stop finding new music i think when you're when you're 32 like they did did a study and that's about the age where you tend to just like oh, i've got a good set here i'll just stick with what i know um, and so for for those of us who who make music we're we're kind of asking people to say would you reconsider or are you 32 yet um, and you know so so i don't write music because I want to get rich, because that would be a completely stupid thing. Um, you know, n- nobody <laughs> nobody really, as a percentage, gets rich. Um, so it can't be about that. Um, what, What helps to make it feel like it's worthwhile is that from time to time, someone will say to you, you know, that song really means a lot to me for, for this or that reason. Um, you know, or when somebody says that, that they really feel like it, it expresses something that they want to express, but don't know how to themselves. And so I think I get dragged along by this notion that there's some part of that speaking, that collective oratory that I can, can help with for the people who don't have their own voice. Um, But, but I mean, yeah, I think, you know, I, I had it in my head that I would, I would maybe pack it up later this year. (laughs) You know, um, I'm, I'm going to be going to be playing uh, a festival uh, this summer um, that I'm, you know, quite thrilled to be playing. And I thought, well, you know what? Is it Wickham? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to be playing at Wickham festival, Um, you know, which is, I'm still just a guy who sits in a room in his house and, and and writes songs. And so this negotiating this this thing where these songs are out there and, and other people hear them and and make value judgments about them and make a personal investment in them. You know, it's it's a really weird thing to try and wrap one's head around. Um you know, so so I'm often quite Quite uncomfortable with that aspect of it, um, but you know, I recorded uh, an EP and released it, and I didn't. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, you know, I knew that they were songs that I was quite quite pleased with, and I was quite pleased with the way the recordings came out and, and all that. Um, but you know, you sort of set up like this is what I would like to happen, um, and you know, and some of those things that I that I wanted to happen, you know, didn't or haven't. Um, but on the flip side, uh, you know, there, there are people that I've never met who have no reason to buy my music, who heard my music and thought, oh, I'll have a bit of that, you know. And so that says to you that, okay, well, there's something there. Like, something about this works. So you, you keep going on. but But I think the thing that keeps me personally... Invested is is definitely that aim to help other people. You know, it, it, like if you look at somebody like like Pete Seeger or, or somebody like Woody Guthrie, you know these people who are writing sort of collectively oriented songs, songs that are about getting people to share. Um, you know, uh, not necessarily a political idea, but but to come together as as people. Um, you know, cause I think there's not enough of that in the world. I think there's too much emphasis on, you know, getting everyone to hate someone else. And it's, it's just such a waste of this little time that we have, you know? Um, so I want songs that are going to be a place where people can meet. Uh, and it doesn't make me necessarily like the most engaged, <laughs> the most engaging performer because when I, when I'm presenting these songs, I don't do this, like, I'm going to make eye contact with everyone in the room. I I sort of am always singing beyond the room. Like, I'm thinking of it as beyond the room. And I want the people that are willing and able to sort of meet me where the songs are at, rather than in that space between us, you know. And I think that's the thing that will probably drag me on doing this as long as I'm, although there are days and there are many days and they happen you know it it can be after you could have had a a great gig the night before but you wake up and you think oh I don't know if I can do this again you know or I'm constantly worried about like running out of song ideas like running out of the ability to produce another song that's worthwhile Um, you know one of my uh, one of my favourite composers uh, was Aaron Copland and he you know, felt that weight of producing something new, and so as he as he aged, his his output slowed because he he kind of felt like that was missing, and and so there there is that, and I should also contextualize this by saying that there have been a lot of times when I just wasn't writing songs, um, you know, because I did start when I was at uni, but when I graduated. I worked for a couple of years at a law firm and while I was there, I didn't really write songs. Um, But what I did was I listened to a lot of music and I sang a lot like a complete lunatic. So this was in Philadelphia and I lived in one uh, suburb and I took a train into town and then I took a different train out of town and then I walked to work. And so that whole journey, I would be listening to music and the bit from the last train station to work you know it was probably about a just a seven or eight minute walk, but I would be walking there down the city streets singing at the top of my lungs because i didn't really care what people people thought, and I think that's a dangerous and empowering thing to to not care um but i didn't I didn 't write any songs during during that time, you know so then I went to graduate school and I was so busy <laughs> and and so focused on the stuff that I was doing for graduate school that I didn't write a lot at first but the more I was there the more I started to feel like writing songs and And the songs that I wrote when we lived in Las Vegas uh, which is where I did my, my master's degree the songs that I wrote there are very quirky because I was really at that point I, I kind of got out of this everything has to be epic in proportion sense and I thought everything has to be hip and cool and so um, the songs reflect that um, but I wrote a song there about a friend's marriage breaking up um and it's uh still a song that um like for example my mother in law uh it's it's one of her favorite songs of mine to date um and i didn't i didn't tell the guy that that I'd written the song and he was at a gig and I played it. And he just burst out into tears and I had to comfort him in the toilet um you know and so so it, it was it was always there but it's about making it a, a priority so i used to maybe write a song every 6 months to 12 months um and that was fine cuz you know i wasn't i wasn't playing any gigs it's not like anybody was knocking on my door saying hey i'd really like a song from you <laughs> you know so it was this 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 need to do it that motivated it then um but about a year ago i I had a message from someone who works as a songwriter. You know, it's their, their professional job. And they had heard me singing um, and uh, had sort of heard a couple of my songs. And they got in touch to say, you know, I think you have, like, the tools. I think you have what's required to to do this, you know. And it was the first time that anybody had said something like that to me. And I had a similar experience, you know, many years ago with composing, where my advisor at the end of uni, after my senior recital, sort of hollowed out to me, and said, you know, come here, and, you know, said, I think, I think, having listened to your recital last night, you know, I think you have what it, what it takes, and, and so it was the same sort of thing about a year ago, and I went from writing a song every six to 12 months to, I've ri- I must have written 40 or, or 50 songs, like, in the last year, and Key thing. And are they all for yourself
0: to sing? Well, the Potentially for others.
2: Yeah, well, the thing is, it started out, I mean, that, that's all kind of fizzled, fizzled out, but the, the idea was, um, you know, to be writing for other people. And what happened is it shifted my way of thinking about writing a song. You know, because as I mentioned, you know, I sort of always perceived it as writing for this me uh, as singer character singing these songs. But then when I was able to think about writing songs for other people's voices, or for just just for other people, then it meant I didn't feel so chained all of a sudden to that guy who I'd always been when I'd sung, um, and it meant that that things that I wouldn't have sung about before, um, things that I wouldn't have written about before, were were suddenly fair game, um, you, you know. And sometimes it comes off better than others um but but it just it sort of opened the floodgates for me because i thought i don't it doesn't have to be this thing this box i can write whatever songs i want to write and it doesn't matter uh you know like i'm not i'm not comfortable with this like you know baby love honey thing if that's just it's just not me but i can write a song that maybe throws that in there and if it suits the song then it's the right decision to make um so, so you know, I think that was a really important thing for me to to realize is that I can do whatever I want, you know, with the songs, and it and it's it's great because you know on the one hand, I I felt the need to write an upbeat song because I, I you know there was a time when I was like oh all these songs are so heavy uh, I need something light so I wrote this song Jets to Brazil which is which is the first track on the EP um, and I wrote it after watching uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's uh, you know I was at home with. Uh, Ezra my little uh, you know he's he's one now he's going to be two at the end of the week Um, you know but he was home with me and we just kind of watched the film and so I wrote wrote this and it's kind of peppy (laughs) compared to everything else because I thought I need to write something upbeat and so I use that as the point of departure but the song itself is you know kind of like about you know women's empowerment it's kind of about uh, you know don't be that doofus who thinks that they can sort of claim someone, you know, it's about if you have the opportunity to share love with somebody and they go just be really, really grateful that you had that, that opportunity, you you know? So I, I sort of go and fit in songs. I think, Oh, the set has, the set's a bit heavy. So I need another song. So like recently I wrote a song called drive, which is like, uh, as summary as anything I ever write. But but then, um, you know, I, I wrote a song that goes sort of back to the sad and character-oriented bit. Um, you know, I just wrote it last week called Arkham Halls, which is about sort of Batman being great at being a superhero, but being really bad at being, uh, you know, a person with, Interpersonal relationships with with someone they love, you know, knowing that they love them, but not being able to to deal with that as as well as as he's able to deal with, you know, saving the day, um, and so yeah, that flexibility, that freedom to sort of bounce back and forth without, you know, it's not that I have any credibility to lose, you know, it's not, it's not like there are people out there who are going to say, oh, you've gone electric now, um, you know, so it means I can I can do whatever strikes my fancy um, and I can, you know, by doing that, it it broadens the playing field for listeners too. You know, it means that there's more chance uh, that something about one of these songs is going to connect with them rather than before where if they hadn't read Dante and they hadn't read Shakespeare or they didn't know, you know, Superman lore with enough uh, depth, then the song was going to be wasted on them. Um, You know, so yeah that's i mean that's that's the magic bit i mean it's it's about this this process how how to make a story that is is accessible for people um and to keep it interesting because you know sometimes you think oh i've written all these songs and i'm still not signed and i still you know live above my parents you know garage you know like you need little things to sort of keep it interesting for yourself and so whether it's like, I'm going to try and write a song in a different time signature. Or I'm going to try and write a song uh, in a different key than I normally would. Or I'm going to um, only put the, uh, the capo on four strings instead of all six and just see, see what happens. So, so there are all these little games that go on behind the scene. But if they're done right, then what? Then what? hearing this song. They're just hearing this song. If they can still hear all the games... Then you, you've not done it well in
1: my in case i didn't hear or you didn't mean goodbye sometimes when the tongue tied in the world The time I'm doing fine until a song comes on, then I long for you, baby, and baby you're long gone.
0: You're long gone. Just getting onto other people's music for a second. Who's your favourite songwriter? This is one. This is
2: one of those always impossible to to reduce. Um, but but I can maybe more effectively. You're allowed more than one. <laughs> I can I can maybe give um, more a sense of the things the things that are in common among the people whose songs I I feel most at home. Um, but so take for example someone like Billy Joel, who's chronically uncool because he kind of had this pretense and and he never really got beyond the pretense. You know, he always wanted to make pop music closer to art music, you know. And so what happens is, you know, he's got a song that rips off the Beethoven piano uh, concerto directly. You know, the melody is just straight up lifted. He's got other songs uh, like um, Leningrad, for example, where you know, you're dealing with sort of non-standard in pop music chord progressions. Um, so it's, there's this sort of elevation of it, but it, but it's not done just for the sake of it. He's making a more, uh, a more graduated world in which the song takes place. So, you know, there's a song like uh, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, just this sprawling epic where we have, you know, this sort of, nostalgic slow music at the beginning then we have this fast manic stuff when we're reminiscing and and it's it's that that storytelling thing but about not oversimplifying the music for the sake of of popularity now somebody like Ben Folds for me he's one of the absolute best at presenting characters because in Ben Folds songs he's rarely the protagonist of the song they, they tend to be about other people or, or the ones that i think are the most successful um and and so he's sort of in my view a master of of presenting these kind of sad sack type <laughs> type characters they're they're not usually overly sympathetic people but, um, but uh, you know it's about bringing bringing things to life like a lot a lot of a lot of dance music, a lot a lot of popular music isn't about world building. You know, it's about here's a beat, you know, maybe here's a little hook in the synth to kinda of let you think that there's some music happening. And and it's about a very stripped down, very simple thing. And usually that song is about one thing. But you know, as I said before, life is not life is not that reducible. Life requires this sort of broader view of stuff. And um, I mean, I was maybe sort of predestined uh, in a way uh, to this end because, you know, as I mentioned, growing up, you know, one of the people uh, whose music that I heard um, was, was Harry Chapin. And so my father, his PhD dissertation is on the lyrics of Harry Chapin, Um, you know, he did, and this is, I think it was 1984, so this is a long time ago, but he was using, uh, like, computer analysis of the lyric choices that were made um, to sort of look at how he communicated ideas, and his songs are, again, about presenting stories, now some of his songs are quite long, Um, you know, you have a song like Sniper, Sniper, which is um, about the University of Texas tower shooting. Um, and the song, it, it tells the story, but it also does this sort of problematic thing where it, it kind of humanizes this guy who, who shot and killed a bunch of people, you know. Um, and and the reality is that is that that's what life is. And until we sort of understand that there are people out there who are unloved or who have an addiction or or this or that and we can not write them off but figure out how to how to embrace them and help to give them a chance to sort of overcome that then then we're never going to move on, on as a society we're always going to be stuck in this cycle of you're bad you're bad uh, I'm good and so, so Harry Chapin does that really well um, in songs. Um, you know he's got a song uh, called "Bummer" that's about uh, this this guy who goes off to Vietnam and is a, a war hero, in a sense, but at home he's he's a criminal, and it's about him sort of getting these medals for the same sort of behavior there that here he's put in jail and eventually, you know, eventually he's shot uh, by, you know, by the police. And so, you know, I think that I value those things in, in a songwriter. I value people who present something about life that's not expected or something about life that is, that is not something that is, that, that people are keen to share because it's easy to say I want to be happy I want to be in love it's another thing to say I've been in love a long time and it's not easy but it's tremendously valuable you know and, and so I would gravitate towards the second of those <laughs> those two songs rather than the first um but yeah but yeah I mean those are those are a good starting point for me would, would be those types of songs and, and songwriters what do you think is the best song that you've ever written? My view of what my best song is, is a song called Star Song. And I wrote Star Song um, you know, about a year and a half ago now. My best friend died very suddenly. He went into the hospital at the end of August uh, in 2015 because he'd had some horrible stomach pains. And he was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer and he died within 2 weeks and he and his wife had made the decision that they weren't going to tell everybody you know they told like family and and, and very close some very close friends but they wanted that time together but it meant that i woke up in the way <laughs> in the way of the world now you know there's a pattern of waking up to bad news on social media you know i so this was this was the sort of start of that for me so i woke up uh in the morning getting ready to take my my kids to school uh, i look at my phone and i find out my best friend's died and i didn't even know he was sick um so i wrote this song and it's a very it's a very specific song you know i wrote it about one particular experience that i shared with him where you know, I'd been at school. We'd been at, at school for a concert, and he was driving me home. And uh, you know, it was about twenty to twenty-five minute drive. And the song is about that drive and about the you know the music that we listened to and the things that we talked about. So it's all this stuff that's very not. It's not public facing in that way. It's all about what we did. It's all about that one real thing that happened. But I wrote the song as a way to kind of to try and keep talking to him you know and so when I sing it you know I sing it with a view to him hearing it Um, so like the chorus uh, you know is uh, this is a song to the stars that light up all our scars this is the sound of the story so far we sing it out against the night Uh, our voice is burning bright Uh, we are stardust and we're harvesting starlight you know so it's it's kind of this one very narrow lens in the verses, and this one very wide lens in the chorus. But it—it it was the first song anyone ever asked me to sing. You know, because I—I've I've been playing songs for years. It was the first time I went to—I went to a gig, and somebody said, "Can you do the one that has this bit?" And last year, I had an opportunity to play it at the All Souls Day, so so where the um, at, the, at the local church they invite people who have lost uh, loved ones To come in and have a service together to, to remember them And I, you know, they wanted to have something different For people who maybe aren't as comfortable in church They wanted to have um, have th- those people have something that, at, that, at that service That they could take on board um, And so I got to sing that song to a bunch of people who who had just lost Somebody in the course of the year, and i and I was there at the service anyway because I lost my mom, so it's this this song that's the right balance of of personal and shared um and and because of that, and because it's just very like there isn't any there there's no gamesmanship to the song um there's no thing it's just I wanted to talk to my friend <laughs> and so I wrote a song and I think. Um, because a lot of people know what that's like. They know what it's like to to lose somebody like that. Um, so I think that's my best song for those reasons.
0: Based on your experience of songwriting, is there anything that you know now that you wish you'd known at the start?
2: I think that there are two, two main things there. I think that the first thing is that, you know, if you're just sort of starting out, or, or you're sort of earlier on in, in songwriting, don't worry about what anyone else is going to think. Um, because it doesn't matter who you are, what room you play to, there are going to be people in there who aren't going to like it no matter what. And if you're sat there as, as a new songwriter, walking into a room, you know maybe there are 10 people, maybe there are 20 people, maybe there's five. You know. But if you walk in, and the only way you're going to feel like it was worthwhile is if they love you, then you're never ever going to feel like it was worthwhile. And it's not anything to do with you. You know, I think you have to just accept that people like different music. You know, people like different songs in the same genre. You know, so you kind of have to not worry about that and just focus on figuring it out what it is that you can say, what it is that you can do in a song that you want to do that's interesting to you you know sort of go on your own path like don't try and mimic the songwriters you admire like take the bits that you that you value from their work but don't sit there and try you know don't sit there and try and write a Paul Simon song because you'll never write a a Paul Simon song and if you did people will will maybe say oh you know do you listen to Paul Simon? Um, you know, but you're not gaining ground that way. Um, you know, obviously we're all sort of replicating the things we're influenced by um, in in some degree, but don't make that what you're trying to do. Just focus on on you. And the sort of second part is that you can't write a song at 20 in the same way you can write the same song. At 25 or 30. Or, you know, older as, as we get. Uh, <laughs> but but that's not to say that writing that song at 20 is a mistake. It, it's to say that you, you shouldn't give up on that idea. You know, you, you shouldn't... Because it wasn't right. Because it didn't capture it quite right at 20. It doesn't mean it's, it's a waste of time. It doesn't mean it, it, it wasn't worth your effort. Because then when you revisit it later, and maybe you've seen a bit more, or you've read a bit more, um, you've traveled a bit more, you you just are constantly growing a perspective, and the most effective way to write a song is once you have this broader perspective, you know it's like putting it through a magnifying glass. like you want to take as much of the world as you can possibly grasp in your arms. And you want to focus it down onto, you know, this person in your song, like what, what their life is like. And that's not something that you can do well um straight off the bat. And I know it's annoying, you know, if if you're sat there and you're you're a young songwriter and you think, Oh, you yeah, know, I'm really good and I can do it and I don't like all this. Um, you know, you're right, you probably are very good. But still you will get better if you stick with it and you keep trying to get better, you will get better and you will be able to say more of what you want to say and people will hear it better. And that's that's the important thing. Because a songwriter who's just saying stuff, you, you know, there are a million of them, but they're saying it because they, they want to say something, not because they want to communicate to somebody. They want to say something. They, you know... They want to be in the comment section and shout and have their opinion, and that doesn't add anything, to you know, to the world. I mean, songs that stick around that that enrich not just you know one lifetime, but but another person's lifetime. Those songs do so because they are about that communication, um, and and so that's that's the thing to bear in mind. Don't quit early, and don't feel like a failure if you can't capture what you're after right away.
0: You've mentioned your EP. Yes. So it's time to give that a big plug. (laughs) How how can people get hold of your EP?
2: Um, Sure. Well, uh, the EP is called Before We Are Ghosts. And presently, uh, it's available on Bandcamp only. Um, Although at some point in the future, it may be available on other streaming services. But it's just in caps. And that's with two Ps, dot Bandcamp com, um, and you can stream it first to see if it's your cup of tea and then you can buy them buy the tracks individually or, or the whole thing if you like
0: or they could just buy it straight away oh you could
2: just buy it straight away you, you could just go in on blind faith you've been so inspired by our conversation here um, that, that you feel like it would be morally uh, you know bankrupt to not buy it um, in which case I love you and please you, you know send me an email or something and we'll have tea it'll
0: be great um, okay and you've got uh, your Facebook page for uh, people to keep up uh, with any gig news or any other releases uh, uh, I assume that's is it Justin Capps or Justin Capps Music it's
2: it's it's JTC songs right um, JTC songs but, but yeah if you search for for my name um, it should come up okay
0: I'll include links to all these things uh, when I um, post the um, interview Thank you very much for your time. Uh, and uh, I'll see you soon. Holly put Best the luck. kettle on and
1: hopped the next train to Babylon. Didn't even put her makeup on. And Holly caught the next jet to Brazil. Down in Rio, she goes lightly still. Didn't look back and she never will. Sally got tired of being told to wait. Molly dropped by to commiserate long till they were feeling great oh learn to love and let her go oh you might just make her stay for another day you should count your lucky stars oh it might not last forever but a lot of people never know love like hers today